and she's part of the team that makes up all these ideas about punctuality. That's the way it rolls. So we are in our summer series. We started last week our summer preaching series on the why questions, explaining our reason for the series being that if our Christianity is in fact experiential rather than knowledge-based, then it must be stated that Christianity is not a mere learning process. It's a living process. Everyone say, hey, I'm alive. Yeah. All right. You sound, guys sounded alive this morning during worship. Boy, that was really good. Really good. Yeah, something woke up, right? Yeah. And more than uh, a way of living, it's the way of life. The way of life, Right? It is a way that life, your life, and my life can connect with the very source of life. And simply knowing about him is not enough. Uh, I think it's Wimber that coined the little saying, you know, uh, some things are better caught than taught. Right? Do you ever have that experience where you tell someone something over and over? Maybe a kid. We'll, we'll say a kid, right? <laughs> All right. And then all of a sudden they say, oh, you ain't going to believe what I just found out, right? I've been telling you that for two years, you know? But something's got to be caught, right? You've got to have an experience for it to go deep inside, to catch your heart, right? So, we must come to intimately know him. And so our goal, our vision, our hope in presenting this series of why questions is to stimulate our thinking, our perception, and our desire regarding what it means to live out our day-to-day -day lives as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be a people, a community of believers, who have a vision for what and why we do what we do. Because the scriptures state in Proverbs 29:18, where there is no vision, what happens? Right? So we've got to have vision. We've got to have purpose. I also stated last week that we feel that the first step in the process of developing a life vision, and, and let me clarify that, right? Because what we're, what we're conveying to you corporately, uh, vision casting, uh, next steps, all the stuff you're going to be hearing, we're applying in a corporate setting. We're trying to instigate in here for the momentum of the church, the growth of the church. All of this can be applied to your own life. If you are living a vision, visionless life, if you have no vision for next week, next month, next year, five years from now, then, then you're going to walk around that mountain again and again and again, and you're going to be saying, why do I keep ending up here? See, you're going to perish. You're just going to perish in this wilderness of having no vision. If you don't know how to cast a vision, if you don't know what it means to plan out next steps to go from, this is where I am today, this is where I'm going to be 
uh, next week, and this is how I will get from here to there in that seven-day period of time to understand that there are steps you can take to change your own life for the better. And if you're not taking any positive steps, then you're visionless and you're going to perish. Okay? So we want you to also grasp, that's why you're getting these little takeaways in your bulletin. Just an opportunity to go home, to search the scriptures, to write things out. You know, sometimes when you start to write out what's going on in your own head, you begin to see things a little clearer. You begin to understand the way you understand. Okay? And that's really important. All, that whole part was free. No charge on that. So I also stated that we feel that the first step in the process of developing a life vision and implementing a strategy to achieve that vision is to understand the value of values or to help answer the question, why values? Why do we have values? What's the purpose of values? What are, what are values, right? Because values, and here's the answer to the question, values are the silent compulsions that stir our emotions and guide our behavior. We went on to talk about vineyard values last week, and if you didn't get a vineyard values book, there are still some over on this side table. Feel free to take one home and explore that. Uh, there are five core values that the vineyard functions out of. Every vineyard church holds these same values, and uh, if you read through them, you'll begin to understand why we do some of the stuff we do, you'll begin to see that, oh, that's why they, they worship the way they worship, because there's a value that they hold, that worship, worshiping God is valuable to us, okay? So we want to talk about, we went on to talk about the Vineyard values and how we seek to incorporate those values into all areas of our church life and to fully express them to the world around us through the various forms of ministry and expressions of the kingdom of God that we live out during our daily walks. We talked about the motivations behind the values we choose uh, being as important, if not more important, than the values themselves because the why of the value chosen dictates its course of action. Our example was the story of the prodigal son. Remember, both the father and the son put a high value on wealth, but for very different reasons, and it drove them in very different directions. So to kind of sum up this overview, we challenged you uh, not only to consider your own values, but also why you consider valuable the values that you hold. Why is it valuable to me? Why do I think this is important that I do this this way? Right? And I hope you worked with our little take-home questionnaire last week to help you in that process because we don't want to dictate which values you should embrace, but rather to help you discover and work with your own set of values and to understand why you have them. 
part of the value of values is that they bring a return on investment. In other words, you value what you value because you get something out of it. An extreme and often unrecognized example of this dynamic is found in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, 2. It's talking about Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, why? For the joy that was set before him. There's there's the return on the investment he's about to make. I know if I do this, I know if I complete this, when it's all said and done, I'm going to be overwhelmed with joy unspeakable and full of glory, okay? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus valued people so much that he was willing to endure the cross in order to see them restored to their original worth and value. Why? Because we were created in God's image and the Father values that reflection. When the Father looks down from heaven, he wants to see Jesus in you. And Jesus wanted to give that to the Father. It was so valuable to him. He was so anticipating the joy that his Father would experience. It became his joy. And he was willing to go through the cross. That's what value does. That's how value compels us. Matthew 6, 26, Jesus is speaking. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Here's the catch line. Are you not of more value than they? In whose eyes? Father God. Father God values you more than all of the rest of creation. Why? Because when he looks at you, you can reflect back the image of his son. Jesus lived his values in his daily walk, in his day-to-day interactions. He wore his values on his sleeve, as it were, and he always let you know where he stood. Listen to this in Matthew 12, 9 through 13. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Uh, Do you all know what the Sabbath is? Does anyone not know what the Sabbath is? Just give me a hand. I'll give it quick, quick explain. You don't know what the Sabbath is? Okay. So in the Ten Commandments, it says you should work six days. On the seventh day, you shall rest. You shall do no labor at all, right? So it was a God-ordained day off, a day of rest. Right, so the Jews, as they began to structure their religion, built a whole system of what you could and could not do, and then a whole system of how to get around it for your own convenience. Seriously, right? So on the Sabbath day, you could only walk for a quarter of a mile. Anything more than that was considered labor. So a quarter of a mile from your property. So what they did is they brought 
they bought little strips of land extending, right? So they had little trails, and they could walk. If if their friend's house was five miles away, they'd buy a little strip of land, and you know if they went there on a regular basis. So they were not breaking the law; they were still on their land, right? How ridiculous! <laughs> How absolutely absurd, right? Right? And so they're asking Jesus this question. They know he's a healer. He goes into the synagogue, and here's this guy with a withered hand. Oh, here comes Jesus. I know what he's going to do, right? This guy's going to walk out with two good hands. We know it, right? So is that lawful? Is that work? Is that labor? Are you laboring? Because that's what you always do, Jesus. That's, that's the work you do. You go around healing everybody, right? You move with compassion, and you heal all their diseases. That, you must be in the healing business. So for you, healing somebody must be work. This is, this is what's going on in their head, right? So... A man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Hey, see that? Boy, oh boy. You've never done that with the scriptures, right? <laughs> what are you, right wing, left wing? What? No. no, let's not get political. Sorry. <laughs> He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? See, once it gets personal, things start to happen up there. So you can make it reasonable. You can make an excuse. You can find a way. He knew how they operated. Listen, I know every one of you who got sheep, you've done this. You've done this because that's what sheeps do. They fall into pits all the time, right? And you're not going to let that roast go. Sorry. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other one. So do you see how he did that? He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And when the man stretched out his hand, he was healed. So for all intent and purposes, they couldn't say they saw Jesus heal that man. They couldn't accuse him. But you know they accused the man for stretching out his hand on the Sabbath. Listen, you you couldn't wipe your nose with a hanky. They would, before six 6 p.m. on the Friday night before the Sabbath, they would try tie a handkerchief around their wrist so that if they had a cold, they could wipe their nose because they couldn't pick up a hanky and wipe their nose. That was work. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're free in Jesus? <laughs> we can say we can blow our nose during service. I mean, <laughs> That trumpet sound, I mean, it's awesome. Gee whiz. Stretch out your nose and blow it. (laughs) So it's easy to see that Jesus lived his values, even though in his religiously explosive environment, it was risky business. 
yet the value of return on investment dictated that it was worth it. So it would stand to reason, because Jesus is also a great teacher, that what he lived, he also taught. And yes, he taught on values. We call them the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. Okay? So I want to give you a couple of readings of these value statements from the mouth of Jesus. And the first reading is from the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, which you got on the tables over there. And uh, most of you will recognize hearing it in this language. If you've heard the Beatitudes, if you've read the Beatitudes, this is most likely what you've heard and read, and you probably never saw them as values, right? So I'm just going to read this, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So most of you familiar with those verses? So why do I say that these are values? Notice each one of them starts with the word blessed. Blessed are you. Which in the Greek is the word makarios, meaning supremely blessed, fortunate, well-off, blessed, happy, and extremely happier. So not only are you happy, but you are extremely happier than happy. Right? So when Jesus says he wants to bless you, right? isn't that nice? In other words, if you do these things, you will be happier, more fortunate, and better off than if you don't do them. Uh-oh. Okay. Requires application. But you have to put them into practice in order to get the benefits. So let's do a second reading. This is Martha's favorite version, the Amplified Version to see what that might sound like in Matthew 5, 1 through 12 in the Amplified Version. So the Amplified gives you every possible meaning of every multi-meaning word in the Greek or Aramaic. All right, so this will be a little bit longer. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them. Now, did you catch that? This is the second time I've said this. Who's he teaching? All right, so, so if you have any expectation of the world acting this way, you know, keeping the golden rule and all of that stuff, just dump it. 
Just dump the idea. Don't put that on people who don't know Jesus. This is a teaching for his disciples. This is for you. Because they have no means to apply it. They can't live that life without that life in them. Okay? So you can have a lot of grace for your unsaved friends. You can have a lot of grace for the gay parades and all the stuff that's going on all around us. Yo, just just extend grace to that and know that Jesus loves them. And if the opportunity arises, share the gospel with them. Give them an opportunity to discover what you have discovered because all of us were a wreck at some point, right? So, so where am I? Oh, yeah, amplified. Blessed, spiritually prosperous, happy to be admired are the poor in spirit, those devoid of spiritual arrogance. Oh, I didn't know that's what poor in spirit meant. Did you? I thought it had something to do with an empty wallet. Gee whiz. Those who regard themselves as insignificant, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, now catch this, both now and forever. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sins and repent. For they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted. Blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, worthy of respect are the gentle, the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, the self-controlled, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. Blessed, content, sheltered by God's promises are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Anybody need mercy? You know how to get mercy? He just told you. You get mercy, right? Mercy has an immediate return. That's what he's saying. You want mercy, give mercy. You can't be judging others and expect to go unjudged, right? Blessed, anticipating God's presence and spiritually mature are the pure in heart, those with integrity, moral courage, and godly character, for they will see God. Blessed, spiritually calm. Ah. (laughs) I like that. Spiritually calm, with life joy in God's favor, are the makers and maintainers of peace, for they will express his character and be called the sons of God. Blessed, comforted by inner peace and God's love, are those who are persecuted for doing that which is morally right, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven both now and forever. Blessed, morally courageous and spiritually alive, with life joy in God's goodness, are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of your association with me. 
be glad and exceedingly joyful for your reward in heaven. For your reward in heaven is great, absolutely inexhaustible. That's the return on investment. Now and forever in heaven, and it's absolutely inexhaustible, abundantly above and beyond anything you could ever hope, dream, or imagine. For in the same way that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you beginning to see the express value in these values? Listen to this. I'm just going to read you some of the highlights. Spiritually prosperous, happy, and to be admired. Both now and forever. Forgiven and refreshed by God's grace. Having the burden of sin lifted. Inwardly peaceful. Spiritually secure and worthy of respect. I I would just take that one. Right? Inwardly peaceful and secure. How would that feel right about now? Right? With all the things that press down on our lives, wouldn't it be good to just feel spiritually peaceful and secure? Right? Worthy of respect. Joyful, nourished by God's goodness. Completely satisfied, content, sheltered by God's promises, anticipating God's presence, spiritually mature, spiritually calm, with life, joy, and God's favor, expressing his character, comforted by inner peace and God's love, morally courageous and spiritually alive, with life, joy, and God's goodness, and having an absolutely inexhaustible supply of treasure in heaven. Wow. Wow. That is the return that you get when you invest yourself into living these values that we call the Beatitudes. I think it's worth at least a little time of study, don't you? (laughs) Yeah. These values are eternal in nature and therefore carry an eternal reward. And so Jesus stated in his wisdom, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you do? Do you ever wonder how do I how do I get my bank account shifted? Do you do that online? I mean electronic banking really I mean that's just he just told you. He just told you. Live out the Beatitudes. Start applying these things to your own reactions, to your own actions. You know, when someone comes up against you and they press that button, how many of you know you got a button? Right? You got a button. And you want to do what you've always done. And all of a sudden you remember Matthew 5, Matthew 5. And you open it up and read that. And I say, which one do I got to do now? You know? All right, I'll be merciful. I'll be merciful. I'll be kind. I'll be a peacemaker. Some of you got choices you can make that are other than the choices you've always made that made the mess that you've always lived. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Right? 
Your heart will follow your values. Your values do not follow your heart. And he wants our hearts focused on things above. I'm doing good. Time-wise. One final reading, and this is from the Passion Translation. I wish Eric was down here to hear this because this is his favorite Bible right now. And I, I think because this version captures Jesus' heart in the teaching of the Beatitudes, not as a new set of rules or regulations to keep like a New Testament Ten Commandments. Uh, no, this is an invitation from the heart of the Father through the words of his Son, the Logos, the living word, to begin to avail ourselves to the treasures of the kingdom of God, living our day-to-day -day lives immersed in the rich blessings of the Holy Spirit in union with the Father through the reflective value of the life of Christ at work in us through his re redemptive work on the cross. We are the joy that was set before him and in that, we find our value in him. I believe that what we call the Beatitudes are Jesus' statement of values being offered to all of us who follow him as a means of being heaven-connected, spirit-empowered, and kingdom of God-focused, bringing us in line with the Father's vision for the new life that he has graced us with. So here's Matthew 5, 1 through 12, the Passion Translation. One day, Jesus saw a vast crowd of people gathering to hear him. Now, how, ma how many of you have been to Israel with me? All right, so where are you sitting right now? All right, up on the Mount of Beatitudes, I'm looking down on this massive kind of bowl-shaped field. I mean... Every time I read this, I'm there in my head, you know, just so nice to see a Galilee off in the distance. <sighs> I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> yeah. So one day Jesus saw a vast crowd of people gathering to hear him, so he went up on the slope of a hill and sat down. With his followers and disciples spread over the hillside, Jesus began to teach them. What wealth is offered to you when you feel your spiritual poverty? For there is no charge to enter the realm of heaven's kingdom. Isn't that good? There's no charge. There's no charge. You know what? Jesus paid it all. Right? He bought you your ticket in already on the cross. There's no charge. It's free. It's grace. It's given freely from the one who wants you to live freely. What delight comes to you when you wait upon the Lord? For you will find what you long for. What are you longing for right now? What's the deep longing? You know, we, had, we, we were up in North Conway yesterday doing some work on our, 
our cabin up there, and we went out to May Kelly's. Yeah, it's an Irish restaurant, pub-type restaurant, and wonderful food, and we're eating, and uh, what did that waitress say to me? No, any, anything else you need. Is there, is there anything at all you need? And I know she was referring to the food, you know. Uh, I had my mouth full. And so she came back and I said, you know, I was thinking about your question. <laughs> I said, I need four snow tires for my plow truck. What? <laughs> well, you asked me if there's anything I need. I, I, I got a bunch. I got a list going here. <laughs> but do you know what your needs are? I mean, do you really know what your needs are? You know, because if you're being compelled in any area of your life to continue to do things that once you do them, you regret that you've done them. I, I, I who's that? Comedian we, we like so much. Brian Regan, right? He does this thing, you know, where he sees this woman and, and she looks like she's pregnant and he says, when's that baby doing? As soon as he starts to say it, he realizes she's not pregnant. And he goes, when's that baby doing? And I'm trying to get the words back in my mouth. <laughs> and how many times have you done that? Right? Have you acted or spoken? And so, crap, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Right? What are you really longing for? The deeper things. This is what Jesus is talking about, the deeper things. Never mind the, the snow tires. The deeper things of life, of happiness, of contentment of joy, of being satisfied. What blessings come to you when gentleness lives in you? Wow. For you will inherit the earth. How enriched you are when you crave righteousness. I, I love this answer. For you will be surrounded with fruitfulness. Yo, we have 30 grandchildren. <laughs> How many greats we got now? Four greats now, right? Yeah. I am surrounded by fruitfulness. I'm telling you, I'm surrounded and I love it. I love it. Right? To see the inheritance that my children and my children's children and my children's children's children have in Christ. I had none of this before him. How satisfied you are when you demonstrate tender mercy, for tender mercy will be demonstrated to you. What bliss you experience when your heart is pure, for then your eyes will open to see more and more of God. How blessed you are when you make peace, for then you will be recognized as a true child of God. How enriched you are when you 
bear, bear the wounds of being persecuted for doing what is right, for that is when you experience the realm of heaven's kingdom. How ecstatic you can be when people insult and persecute you and speak all kinds of cruel lies about you. Wouldn't this be great on Facebook? Huh? Right? You get one of those things going and all of a sudden you turn it around and you start blessing instead of cursing. Start blessing instead of accusing. You don't get caught up in, in the give and take of that stuff, right? You can change everything. I, did I ever tell you the story about what Martha did to me? This is probably early on in our marriage, right? We got in some kind of little tiff. I don't even remember what it was then. But I knew I was right. <laughs> the problem was she knew she was right also. So it was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and it was getting more heated, and all of a sudden she said, oh, you're right, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I repent. I said, what? <laughs> you can't do that. She said, well, the Holy Spirit just told me, whoever repents first wins. <laughs> huh? Is that the Beatitudes in action? Right, see what I mean? And, and you know, everything just went pow. Right, all of that energy and aggression and stuff just dissipated out of the room. Applied the kingdom. Wow. Hmm. One last thing before we pray. Uh, don't forget a little questionnaire in your bulletin. If you don't have one, I don't know if there's some extra bulletins out there. Uh, take it home. Explore the Beatitudes. Explore your own heart uh, for your own set of values, but not just your values, not just what they are, but why. Why do I strive towards that? Why do I feel compelled towards that? Why do I have an emotionally charged reaction to that? And I feel I have to defend that. So you defend something you value, right? Fight or flight, right? You know, utilize the tools, explore the scriptures, and store up treasure in heaven. How great it would be if you could just pause in the middle of that button push and say, all right, Lord, let me read your word. What are my options here? How can I respond from your heart instead of my heart. Wouldn't that be good? Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, we just love you, O oh God. We invite you to come this morning. Lord, we've explored your word rather deeply today. Lord, because we know that in your word there is life, 